Now, hold on to that song, because some of you are going, how in the world are they going to tie in a Nirvana song to Jesus? Just wait, all right? Um, hey, today we're going to wrap up this Colorado Trail ser- series, where we've been reviewing our, our, our values, or a better way to say that is the six most important truths that drive everything we do. Not just in my own personal life, but in a bigger scale, this place we call Flatirons. And these six weeks have not been an exhaustive list of, of everything we believe to be important. But if we lose any one of these big six, um, this whole place kind of falls apart. If we, if we lose any of them, uh, in Colorado Trail terms, we're going to be lost in the woods. We're going to kind of be making it up as we go, going nowhere fast and walking in circles. If we lose one of these, it really doesn't matter what else we believe to be true. These things are that important. What do you mean? Well, let's just review real quick, then we'll jump into number six, and then we'll go to Rocky's game tomorrow. Uh, Jesus, we believe that Jesus taught this. And if you want to fill in the blanks in your, in your program so you can kind of remember these, because they're really, really important. We believe Jesus taught this thing called biblical authority. Biblical authority, or the way we say it around here is that we just believe that the Bible is a better way to live. You hear me say that a lot. It's just a better way to live, like a, like a trail map, you know, if, if we're willing to not just believe it's true. Because there's a lot of people in the world believe the Bible's true, but not just believe it, but follow it. Follow him and put ourselves under his authority. We believe he'll lead us to a better place, a a better life, a more abundant life. He said it was actually true life as opposed to other kinds of life. Then the next week we looked at relational intimacy. We believe that Jesus taught that God loves everybody and that everybody that has been disconnected from God, no matter what it is that disconnected us, Jesus said it's all forgivable. Everything is forgivable and reconnection back to God is made possible simply by trusting him who Jesus is and what he did on a cross as payment for our sins. At some point in our life, we're walking our trail and we bump into Jesus. Some of us, it hadn't happened yet. Tonight it's happening for some. Some it's just a few weeks ago. Some when we were little kids. We bumped into Jesus. We had a conversation with him, you know, and we began to work out our stuff. And then we decided whether we trust him or not or whether we believe him or not. And then from that point on, he's kind of moved inside of us and he's changing us. We're not finished. We're not totally changed, but he's changing me from the inside out. That's relational intimacy. Then the next week we look at authentic community. Jesus had this idea called church, and it kind of looked like this, kind of a me-too community where we could help each other and encourage one another. And, you know, if I don't have enough and you have enough, could I have some of yours? And I have more than enough, and I'd share with you. And if you fall down, let me pick you up, and let's protect one another as we walk our path. And while sometimes, I don't even say most of the time, authentic community gets messy, Jesus says that's better than living by yourself. It's just a better way to live, walking together. Then the next week we look at this, gifted service. Jesus promised then and he promises us now. Follow me and I'll, I'll move in you and I will give you different abilities and opportunities so that you could all join together. No one person is going to be able to pull this off. But if we could join together, kind of link arms together and pool our talents and our gifts and our abilities and our money and, and, and our opportunities, we could together accomplish the things that Jesus wants to accomplish. Together we could love the people that Jesus really wants to love. Then last week we looked at number five, excellent environments. Jesus taught over and over that only he can change anybody. I can't. I can't even change myself. What, what makes me think I can change or fix you? But Jesus says, I, I can change people. I can fix people. I save people. But it's between the two of them, you and, and Jesus. You work your stuff out. Well, then what's our, what's our deal? What's our responsibility? To help people have a chance to bump into Jesus. Just have a shot at even meeting him. How do we do that? By creating the most excellent environments and opportunities that we possibly can, that Jesus is easy to find. And we remove all the weird stuff that creeps into churches and religious obstacles that stand in the way of people finding Jesus. So that's five weeks and five minutes, all right? Which brings us to value number six, all right? If you're going to fill in the blanks here, this is important, all right? Relational evangelism. 
Yeah, I know. Don't, don't close up because it sounds really religious, relational evangelism. But here's what I mean. Just dissect it, okay? Relational comes from the word relationship, all right? Relational, oh, oh, he's so wise. I know, I know, I know. Which literally means connection. That's all it means. You know, if you have a relationship with the person next to you, you're connected on some level. Some of you, you just met. It's a little bitty connection. Some of you, you know, you gave birth to him. You're really connected. I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. It just means connection. So what we're going to talk about only has to do with people that you're connected to. We're not going to save the world tonight. We're just talking about people that you already are connected to on some level. And evangelism, it's a religious word, but actually it, it just means to announce good news. That's all it means. To announce good news. And, and you do it every day. You announce good news every day. When, when we were hiking the Colorado Trail, I remember we were hiking up this one valley. It was the most beautiful valley I think I've ever been in my life. It was green and there were beaver dams. I've never seen a beaver dam. We don't have those in Kentucky. Or maybe we do. Never saw one. There, there were like deer hopping through meadows. I mean, there were clouds. There was the breeze. There was the water flowing. And I remember thinking to myself, and I think I even said this to Derek. I said, you know, most of the world doesn't even know this is here. Because it's like 14 miles up in the mountains. You know, let alone most of the world's not going to be able to see this. And I remember hiking along thinking... I wish Robin could be here. I wish Jordan could be here and Allison and Ben, you know. I wish they could all be here. And the next time I come here, I'm going to bring one of them with me. It's relational evangelism. Every day, you relationally evangelize. You go to a movie. It's a great movie. You call your friend. You've got to see this movie. It's awesome. Go now, right? That's relational evangelism. Hey, I went to this restaurant. It just opened up over in so-and-so. It was, it was fantastic. Next time we go, we want you to come with us. That's relational evangelism on all levels. This past week, we were, this is kind of give you a picture of your staff. We were standing out in the hallway, and we were talking about beer. <laughs> all right? Welcome to Flatirons. All right? And I talked about, I said, I mentioned fat tire to somebody. They went, oh, have you taken the tour yet? I'm like, no, what's that? And they're like, oh, there's this tour up in Fort Collins. You've got to go there. And, and, this, and then people started gathering in and trying. All these guys are standing in the hallway going, oh, you've got to try this too. And the hops on that one are horrible. And you should not do that. And, all that. and I'm like going, I don't know. And this one said, but at fat tire, they give free samples. I said, Really? Yeah, so I'm going Tuesday to do some research for you, for you, all right? But, but I mean, it's on all levels. I was walking through the house a, a, a while back, and, I, and Robin's on the phone with her best friend, Karen, and, and, and they're sharing, or they're talking about um, the best kind of fiber cereal, and where can you fi- buy underwear that actually fits? And they're talking about this at, at length, and that's relational evangelism, <laughs> really. I mean, guys are evangelistic about beer, women, regularity, and underwear, Right? <laughs> And you think I'm kidding, but, but here's what I mean is that, seriously, when you find something that works for you, and you have somebody in your life you care about, you share it. You share it. You know, I found something that works good. Here it is. You don't have it all figured out. You don't understand why it works. It just does. When you find somebody in your life that's kind of going through the same stuff you're going through, or facing some of the same stuff you're going through, or looking for the same thing you've been looking for, sometimes in passing and sometimes very passionately, you invite people in your life that you're connected to, that matter to you, and hey, give it a try. That's all we're talking about tonight. And the opposite is true, too. You know, hey, I went to this movie. I went to this restaurant. Don't ever go there. It's horrible, all right? Don't ever drink that. It tastes like crap, whatever. Don't ever buy underwear there. It doesn't breathe, and it creeps up on you, and you'll be picking. Don't do that. And that's relational evangelism. It's all I'm talking about. And what's true with movies and restaurants and beer and underwear is true with Jesus. It's a weird sentence, isn't it? Here's what I mean. If you're looking for something, if you're looking for something... Hey, I found something. I, I tried something. I discovered something. It's working for me. It's helpful to me. And if you're looking for it, here's where you can find it if you want it. 
that's all we're talking about, relational evangelism. I'm going to give you two examples out of the Bible, which are much more spiritual than my examples. Um, if you have your Bible with you, Matthew, I mean John, we're in the book of John. There are four biographies, remember? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right? So uh, if you have the Flatirons Bible, page 736, this is also in the program. Let me kind of set this up. This is just really close to what we talked about last week. Jesus is walking along this river. It's the same river that six weeks ago or so, his cousin, John, we call him John the Baptist. That's not a denomination. It's what he did. He baptized people. So it's like John the Baptizer had baptized his cousin Jesus in this river six or seven weeks before there. Jesus is walking down the same river, and John is still there baptizing people, telling people to turn back to God. Now, he has a couple of people there, like, assisting him, kind of his students or his helpers. One of them's name is John, all right? And he's the one that wrote this book. And the other guy's name is, is Andrew. So John, the, the baptizer, is baptizing people. And he looks up on the, on the edge of the river, and here comes Jesus walking down the river. And look what he says in verse 36. When, G, when John, the baptizer, saw Jesus passing by, he said to John and Andrew, Look, the Lamb of God. All right, now, now let me explain that, all right? In the Jewish religion, and John and John and Andrew had grown up Jewish, all right? The way you, if you, if you screwed up your life or made a mistake or touched this or ate the wrong thing or whatever, all right? the, the way you temporarily paid for that, for your sins, is you went to Jerusalem, and there's a big building there called the temple, and you bought a, a sheep outside at the sheep store, and you went in and they slaughtered the sheep, and the blood poured out, and that kind of temporarily paid for your sins. But if you sinned, you had to go kill another sheep. So it was really, really bloody around, around the temple. And John is saying, look, there he is. See, John knew all the prophecies. He'd read them all of his life, gone to Hebrew school all of his life. He knew that every prophet that had ever lived had said this. One day, God is going to send a, a, a Messiah, a, a Savior, a, a connector. And he's going to connect us back to God. He's kind of like, going to be like the ultimate sacrifice. And John's baptizing people and goes, hey, hey, guys, look, that's the lamb. That's the lamb. I don't know how God's going to do this, but somehow that guy is going to connect us back to God permanently. So verse 37, all right? When the two disciples, Andrew and John, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So they got out of the river and ran up, up the hill, all right? Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they run up, Jesus turns around, well, what do you want? Or, or what are you looking for? What, what are you searching for? What do you want from me? What, what does you want me to do for you? Well, where are you staying? Where are you going? Translated, can we come with you? Are we allowed to be with you? And look how Jesus replies. Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour, which in Jewish time is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, here you go. John and Andrew, all their life, and in other places you find out, they're just hardworking fishermen. They got minimum wage jobs. They work down on the docks, all right? All their life, their parents drug them off to Hebrew school, and the guy would stand up there and go, one day, I know your life's hard right now and horrible, and, 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 and God seems a million miles away, but I'm telling you, one day God is going to send somebody to us, and he's going to give us a better life. And then they weren't even looking for it. They're in a river with their friend John, the baptizer, and he looks at him and goes, do you trust me? Yes. It's him. Go, go check him out. And they run up the hill. Hey, Jesus, can we be with you? Are we allowed to be with you? And Jesus turns around. And you know what? He didn't give him a sermon and didn't quote Bible you know, verses at him. And he didn't say, yes, on one condition. If you promise to stop doing what you did Tuesday, I'm telling you. All right? Or if you would give up that or whatever. No, he just says, um, yeah, come and see. In other words, come and see for yourself where I'm going. And they spend the rest of the day with Jesus. 
Now let's go on, okay? So, Andrew, one of the guys from the river, all right? Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who had heard John had said and who had followed Jesus, all right? So Andrew's one of the guys in the river. He has a brother named Simon Peter, who's very famous, all right? The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The first thing Andrew did, first thing, is he ran home and found Simon. All right, he says, hey, you know that guy we've always been, you know, Hebrew school, and they're all saying, you've got to remember this, you've got to remember this. We've, I think we found him. All right? And here's why I love this part of the story. I'm so glad John put this in. For the rest of the Bible, I mean, after this chapter on, Simon Peter gets all the headlines. He gets all the attention. Simon Peter gets to walk on water, you know. Simon Peter cuts off a guy's ear with a sword. It's a great story, right? Uh, Simon Peter gets to be the first preacher in the very first church. In his first sermon, 3,000 people got baptized. I mean, he's a big deal. But the only reason he even gets involved in the story is that Andrew, his brother, goes in and says, Hey, come with me. I, I found something good. Just, just come and see for yourself. So the next verse goes like this. And he, Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, I love this, and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be Cephas, which when translated is Peter or Rock. And here's what I love about this little tidbit here, all right? Because this is what all of us find when we bump into Jesus on our path. This is what all of us find, no matter, 2,000 years ago and today. It goes like this. See, Jesus knows who we are right now. Jesus looks at him and goes, I know who you are. I know your name. I know the stuff you've done. I know what you did last night. All right. I know who you are. You are Simon, son of John. But Jesus sees us not for what we are or what we've done or who we are right now. Jesus has the ability to look at you and go, I know what you could be. See, you are Simon. You will be Cephas or, or Peter, the rock. And it's true. See, when, when Peter decided to follow Jesus, he was a hothead, a big mouth. He was a coward. Over the next three years, he makes these big statements and then falls hard, falls down hard. He tries to walk on water and sinks. It didn't go well for him at all, all right? He talks big and crumbles under pressure, but Jesus sees in him this great potential. See, unlike other people in Peter's life and maybe your life, Jesus doesn't look at our past or our present or our screw-ups next Thursday and let that define everything that we are. Peter looks at... Jesus looks at Peter and gives him hope. He says, hey, Peter, follow me. Become something new. The same thing he tells everybody in this room tonight. I see you as you are, but I also see what you could become if you'll follow me. That's worth coming to church for right there, isn't it? But there's a lot more. So we go on, all right? So let's review, okay? So this is what's happened so far. John the baptizer is baptizing people. He looks up and goes, I think he's the one. Go. And Andrew runs after Jesus. Jesus turns to him and says, what is it you want from me? Andrew says, I want to be with you. Jesus says, come and see. Andrew follows him. Then Andrew goes and finds his brother. I think he's the one. Come and see. Peter comes and sees. And Jesus changes his life. In one of the other biographies, John does the same thing with his brother James. And James comes and sees, and he follows Jesus, and now Jesus has four followers. It's Jesus and four followers. That's all. That's the first church, all right, on the whole planet. Four followers. But it keeps going. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, which is another part of Israel, finding Philip. So they're walking along, and there's Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip, so Philip comes and sees and follows. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote. I think probably, you know, uh, Philip is look, or Nathaniel's looking at him going, who? 
uh, it's Jesus. From Nazareth, a little town down the road. Um, son of Joseph. Remember his dad put new windows in our house? Remember that? That's who I'm talking about. And here's the response. Nazareth. Can any good thing come from there? It's like Arkansas. I mean, can any, you know, really. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And here's what Philip says. Come and see. I mean, I don't know. Just come and see. And Nathaniel comes and sees, and after meeting Jesus himself, he believes and he follows Jesus. And now it's Jesus and six followers. And then this kept going on for a while. Nathaniel, he goes and he finds somebody that he, he is in his life. And he says, hey, listen, I think I found something really good. Come and see. And that person came and saw and said, I think he's good too. Then he goes and finds somebody good. You know, say, hey, listen, I found something good. Come and see. And he comes and sees. And he believes. And then he goes, oh, I got a friend on the other side of town. And he jumps on his camel and goes over to his house and knocks on the door. Hey, I found something really good. You just got to come and see. And this goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Then somebody gets on this boat called the Mayflower and sails west. All right. And they get over here and they jump out and go, hey, I know something really good. It's changed my life. It's really good. Come and see. And then they came and saw. And they believed. And they went and they told somebody who 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 told somebody until finally last week or last month or last year you were at work or school or carpool line or mom's day out or it's flat irons, a bar, a club, whatever, wherever you were, all right? And somebody came in and sat down beside you and said, hey, I found this thing called flat irons. And they might have mentioned, you know, um, the music was really good and loud and and the preacher occasionally cusses, you know, sometimes. But anyway, but the thing that caught your eye was you finally met a, a real person, you know, uh, that wasn't weird, who was connected to God and even talked about Jesus, but they weren't some freakish, cultish, self-righteous, drink the Kool-Aid wacko. And they didn't preach you, you or lay some self-righteous guilt trip on you. They simply kind of put this out. I found something really good. It's, it's making a difference in my life. And then they said this. Hey, sometime, if you want to come and see, I'll pick you up. You, you can come with me. Just let me know. And here you are. A year ago, you would have sworn. This is never going to happen. But here you are. You're here. I would say, and I'll prove it to you in a minute, because somebody in your life invited you to come and see. I'll prove it. If that or some close version of that story explains why you're sitting in this room tonight, would you raise your hand? Look around the room. Yeah, you are our marketing program. I mean, we, we don't, I mean, you're it. And if your hand went up, it's because somebody in your life thought you deserve a chance to come and see. Not flat irons. Jesus. All we're trying to do around here is create a place that's Easier to find him than maybe some other places. You know, that's the song. Come as you are. Just come as you are. Covered in mud. uh, Covered in whatever. And and here's the thing is. I swear we won't shoot you. We don't have guns here, all right? Meaning this. Is we don't shoot our wounded here. You come in with this sin. We don't pick on that one. We don't beat you up. I swear. It's safe here. It's safe here to figure out your stuff with God. It's called relational evangelism. I share the good news and the good things in my life with the people I care about and invite them to come and see for themselves and make up their own mind. That's all we're talking about. Now, let me tell you what relational evangelism is not because there's a lot of bad definitions floating out around there. Relational evangelism, come and see, is not about let's get out there and convert people. Let's go convert. This is not about converting people. Remember? Only Jesus can convert anybody. Only Jesus can change anybody's heart or mind about anything important. Right? I mean, I might change your mind about something that doesn't matter. But one of the big things in your life, that's between you and Jesus. Relational evangelism is about building trust and integrity and earning the right to speak into the important areas of life. And I'll give you a great example of that. You know, we talk about Barakah of Afghanistan a lot in here. 
We do. And I'm going to be really honest with you, all right? My end game and in my, in my prayer life, here's what I'm praying. I wish, I hope, I pray, I'm asking God that one day every one of those little kids in Barakov, Afghanistan, eventually knows Jesus. I, I do, okay? I, that, that, is my, that is my prayer, all right? But if we had walked into that camp two years ago and started like walking in and going, you're doing it wrong, and your religion, that's not even right, and you're following a false god, how long do you think we would have lasted there? We wouldn't have gotten out of the car, but over the last two years, as we go into Barakab, we go in there as equals. Men talking to men. Dads talking to other dads. Women talking to women. Moms talking to moms. People created in God's image talking to other people created in God's image. And we're asking questions like that. What do you need? And how can we help? And I care about your soul and your heart, but I also care about your family and your kids and whether they have enough to eat, or whether they get to go sleep inside, or whether they get to go to school, or whether they have access to the same medicines that my kids have access to. People care about you. And why? We believe all of us matter to God. All of us matter to God. And that's, we think God brought us together. I said that one time, and they all applauded. Which is why, when they needed water two years ago, if you were, if you were here, a third of you weren't here, but two years ago, I threw out this, I heard that Bargob didn't have any water. And do you remember this? It was last two Julys ago. I said, hey, if we could raise some money, we could dig a well. And you guys piled money up here on the front edge of the stage. Some of you remember that? And we went and we dug this well. And it caused those elders in that community to look at us and go, you know, we prayed to our God for a long time and got nothing. You prayed to Jesus and now we have water. You said it, not us. We didn't shove that down your throat. You said it. And that's why they call us brothers and sisters. And they pledged their lives for our safety. Their dirt, we brought dirt back. Their dirt is going to be mixed into our new building. Our dirt, Colorado, this is probably breaks all kinds of homeland security stuff, so <laughs> pray for it. But, but, but we took Colorado dirt over there, and it's mixed into the mortar of the school and the clinic that you guys built because we're one people. And what's true in Afghanistan is true at your school and where you work and at your club or your softball league or whatever. The same truth is, 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 is in play. Don't, don't tell me what I ought to do. Or don't try to fix me or try to get me to do anything until I actually believe that you care about me. Then maybe I'll listen. But if I'm your target or I'm your project, save it, right? I'll give you another example. Nan got an email a couple weeks ago from a lady in our church, all right? Let me just read this. This is right when we were doing the backpacks a couple weeks ago. And I've changed the names in here uh, just to protect their, their anonymity. But it goes like this. Hello, Nan. I normally don't ask for much, and it's taking me all I have to type this message. I didn't think I had any tears left, but surprise, I found some. Elizabeth, not a real name, by the way, has been, after everything that Elizabeth has been through, um, how do we qualify for a book bag from the church? Because they, they, they live a distance from the church. See, funds are extremely tight right now, and I've really had to back off working since she's needed more of my time. She has a lot of disabilities. I'd always thought, who can't afford a book bag? How silly. Come on. Now I'm walking in shoes. I never thought I would. If you could please just let me know how I would go about qualifying, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, any extra prayers would go a long way. Since Thursday night, little Elizabeth has had three grand mal seizures. I'm so scared. Sincerely, Mom. And this is the email that Nan got last week. I I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart. All caps. You gave Elizabeth the biggest smile. I have not seen a smile like this in a long time. She carried the back on her back all day long today and showed it to her doctors today at her follow-up appointment. 
She would not let them touch anything inside because it was hers. I finally had to take the bag before dinner and I hung it in my office. When she didn't think I was looking, she came in the office, hugged her bag and gave it a kiss and then walked out. I was floored with joy. You have no clue how happy you made her. How can I ever repay you? Just name it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank who? Nan? Thank you, Nan. Nan didn't buy the backpack. Well, thank, you know, uh, thank the person who bought her a backpack. Um, I can narrow it down to about 1,500 of you. Thank Flatirons? How do you do that? What, what is Flatirons? We're just a bunch of people who've linked arms together in community and we're trying to look something like Jesus. What's he look like? I don't know. Come and see. He looks like the kind of God who cares for refugees in Afghanistan and little girls named Elizabeth in Colorado. But come and see for yourself. That's who we're trying to follow, right? And I wish I could just spend a whole week just going through emails. Like this one. Come and see a Jesus who cares about a soldier stationed 7,000 miles from home in the Middle East who stays connected to Jesus through our website until she can get home in a couple months to merge. All right, so I don't know if she's in, in, in Iraq or Afghanistan because she wasn't allowed to say, I'm just in the Middle East. Got that one this week. How about the conversation I had out in the lobby a couple weeks ago? Come and see a Jesus who cares about a, a woman whose husband hates church and religion because his old priest told him that his brother's suicide was an automatic trip to hell. Which isn't true, by the way. But he loves coming to Flatirons because it makes sense here. Come and see a Jesus who cares about a family that was kicked out of their last church because their son was addicted to drugs and they were told that they were bad parents and don't come back. Come and see a Jesus who says, come and heal. And the list goes on and on and on. Why do I tell you these stories and what does it have to do with relational evangelism? Everything. Because this room is filled with stories. And this world is filled with bad religion and mean people or mean people and bad religion. I I don't know, but we've found, I hope, something better have you? Uh, something good, and his name is Jesus, and he's nothing like I expected. He's better, but don't take my word for it. Just come and see for yourself. That's all we're talking about. And Jesus promised, Jesus promised this. If we would just lift him up and go, there he is, he will draw people to himself. He'll draw people to himself. See, it's not our job to convert people. It's his job to change people. Our job, just come and see what he's like. The other thing that relational evangelism is not... It's one of the things that causes a lot of us to assume, I can, I, I can never do that. You've already checked on me. I can never do that, all right? And here's why. Relational evangelism is not having all the right answers. You don't have to have all the right answers. See, this freaks everybody out. I can never bring up God stuff or church stuff because what if somebody asked me a question about God and I didn't know the answer and they think I'm stupid and they think God's stupid and they don't follow God and they go to hell. It's my fault because I didn't know the answer. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no wonder. Well, I'm not bringing up God either. I'm resigning. I'm telling you, all right? The problem, though, is that Jesus never told us to talk about stuff we don't know about. You know, if you don't know the answers, don't talk about it. He told us, really, just talk about the stuff you do know something about. In his last public speech on a mountain before he went back to heaven for 2,000 years and, and counting, he looked at his followers and says, hey, go and just tell people the stuff I told you. The stuff I taught you, that's all you have to share. The, the, what you experienced with me, just kind of tell that to other people. And if you get asked a question and your answer is, I don't know, that's all right. That's all right. If you, if you don't have all the answers or know all the answers, just tell your story. Here's a story. Aaron told us a few weeks ago. Jesus is walking down this road, okay? He's walking down this road and he comes to this town gate and there's a blind guy sitting there begging. In Jesus' day, uh, there, there, was, you know, there was no social services. If you were blind, your parents took you out. They sat you there and said, just beg for food, something, all right? And we'll come back and pick you up after work, all right? So Jesus comes to this guy who sat there all of his life. 
He kneels down. Remember this story? He kneels down, kneels down all right? And it's Saturday, by the way. It's Sabbath, right? He picks up some dirt, spits in it, makes some mud, rubs it on the guy's eyes and goes, there's a pool right over there by Siloam. Just go wash your face. You'll be fine. The guy does. He has mud on his eyes. Somebody leads him over there. He washes his face. He can see for the first time in, in his life. Now, pick up the story in John chapter 9. His neighbors, the formerly blind guy's neighbors, and those who had formerly seen him begging, ask, isn't that the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that, yeah, it is. Others said, no, it just looks like him. But he, the formerly blind man, insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? Because it's a good question. You've been blind like for 30 years, all right? You're like a, I mean, you're always there every morning, you know, for the last 38 years or so, right? All right? So how, how can you, how are your eyes open? Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus, that's all I know about him, by the way, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where's the man, they asked. I don't know, he said. Why don't you know? Last time I was with him, I was blind. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you know? This is all I know. I was sitting there by the gate. He rubbed mud on my eyes, told me to wash. I did. All I can, that's, I can see. That, that's all I know. It's a story. I don't have any other answers. That's just my story. So then the religious, you know, the religious biggies, they get him in here. We want to find out more about this. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisee, that's the religious people, the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. There was a law in the books that said you can't work on the Sabbath, all right? And apparently the Pharisees said, making mud, that's work. So Jesus is a sinner. He's going to hell. He can't be from God because he made mud. Oh, no. All right, so verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, the the formerly blind man, how he had received his sight. Here we go, all right? He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He can't be, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He's a sinner. He just made mud. <gasps> Horrible, right? But others ask, if he's a sinner, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they're split. They're divided. Finally, they turn it again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man, the formerly blind man, said, he's a prophet? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know what he looks like. I'm just telling you. That's my story. They don't believe him. So they call his parents in, okay? So was he really blind when he was born? Yes, he was born blind. How was he healed? I don't know. He's an adult. Ask him. And they run out because they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of church, all right? So they call the guy in again, verse 24. A second time, they summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. Okay, this is it. Swear to God on this one, all right? Tell your story. We know this Jesus guy is a sinner. Here's what he says. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know. All right? I was blind. Now I'm not. Now I can see. And they get mad and throw him out. Okay? All right? Now Jesus, skip down some more verses. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Like, do you believe I'm the Son of God? (laughs) Who's he? This is great. All right? Who's he, sir? The man asked. Tell me. I want to find out about him so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've now seen him. He's the one speaking with you, in fact. Then the man said, Lord, now I believe. And he worshiped him. See, I missed this for years and years. The guy telling the story like three times. All right, here's the story. I was blind, now I'm not. I'm blind, now I'm not. He's not even a believer. 
He has no idea who Jesus is, all right? Um, uh, he, he, all he knows is, I, you know, I'm sitting by a road. I, I, I didn't bump into Jesus. He bumped into me, all right? Jesus told me to do something. I did it, and the broken part of my life got better. That's all I know. So that's all I have to say about it. It's not until later he becomes a follower of Jesus. He just doesn't wait till he has all the answers and everything figured out to begin to tell people my life is getting better because of this man. I, I don't know really know who Jesus is. I don't know how he healed me. I don't know why he healed me. I don't know if he can heal anybody else. All I know is that Jesus is changing my life. And then he looks at those Pharisees and says, do you, you're asking all these questions. Do you want to become his followers too? It didn't go over well, all right? And as a result, some people said, yeah, I do. And some people said, no. See, is everybody going to be impressed or agree with your story? No. But people can argue your politics. And people can argue your religion and your theology. You know what nobody can argue with you about? Your story. You know why? It's your story. And if your story leads you to have a better life, most people are at least curious. Relational evangelism is just telling your story. All I know, I was blind. No, I'm not. And that's good news. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. If you'd like to check it out for yourself, then come and see. Now, application time. This is the easiest application of all five. You don't have to change your belief system. You don't have to change your theology. You don't have to change your lifestyle. The only thing you need to kind of change is have a conversation. What do you mean? Who's the person in your life? I'm not saying you need to go to Afghanistan or Africa or who is it in your life you're already connected to? That right now, you know, there's part of you going, I wish they could come and see. And you have it, right? It's just like sitting on a mountain. You don't sit up on top of a mountain going, who would I invite here? You know. Oh, I, wish, I wish Robin was here. I wish, you know, Jordan was here. Whatever it is, I just wish they were here. Who's that for you? And you got them in your mind, okay? Now, don't say no for them. Have you found that you say no for other people? And later you go, actually, I would have said yes. Oh, now I feel bad, all right? Don't say no for other people. I'll give you a great example of this because I have a minute and 20 seconds left, all right? All right. I was talking to a guy the other day, um, and I look at his life, and his life is awesome. I look at his life, and he's, he's got money, a lot of it, okay? And he goes on trips, and he does this, and he does this, and he flies here and does this. And, I mean, awesome life. And I made a lot of assumptions about him. And we went to a ball game one day, and we started talking, and you know what? His life sucks as bad as mine. What do you mean? I found out his wife has the same health problems Robin has. And we connected. And he was going something with his son, and I was going through something with one of my kids, and we connected. And his business was kind of doing like this, and I didn't know about that. And finally, I just looked at him and said, I owe you an apology. Why? I just made a lot of assumptions about you. And that's not fair. That's not fair. It's, it's just not. Don't assume. Because beneath the surface, I don't care how cool or how together a lot of us look, there's stuff going on. So who is it in your life? And that's between you and God. I'm not your Holy Spirit. There's another one. His name is Jesus. Who is he bringing to your life? You know, you know next week, you know, we're doing this worship thing. So if people, some of your friends go, I hate it when a guy stands up there and talks. We're just talking a little bit. Sing a lot. Rock and roll. All right? It's good, okay? The week after that, for six weeks, we're talking about Vegas. Come to my church, we're talking about Vegas. And it's not an anti-gambling sermon, all right? Good. All right. All right. So we're, not, we're, not gonna, we're just going to talk about faith. Why do so many of us lose our faith? Why does life blow up and the first thing we do is go, well, thanks a lot, God. Why? We're going to unpack that for four or five weeks. That's a good one, isn't it? You got anybody in your life that lost their faith? Anybody here on the edge? 
We're going to talk about that. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing two songs. This song Randy wrote. Here's the thing is, these next two songs, especially this one Randy wrote, when you look at these, these words, how could you not, if you really love somebody, and you're like, invite somebody to say, just come and see that. Because it's awesome. Let's pray. Then we'll stand up and we'll sing, okay? God, I love you so much. You have changed my life and you are changing it. And don't stop changing it. Please don't leave me like this because I want to be a better man. I want to be a better dad, a better pastor, whatever. I want to be a better friend, all right? So you're still working on me. And it's safe. No guns here. We don't shoot our wounded. We don't throw stones just because, you know, somebody else told us that we're wrong or whatever. We are wrong. But where else would we go but to you? I mean, who else has words of truth and life? Who else can heal up the broken parts of our life? I mean, we know what our marriages are like and our relationships are like and how we get along with our parents. We know it's busted and broken, going the wrong direction. Where else would we go but to you? For some of us in this room, you have changed us and you are helping us and you are picking us up. And the natural thing I do when I'm on the Colorado Trail or I'm eating lunch with my friend is just to say, you know, it's good and it works for me. And if you, ever, if you ever want to come and see for yourself, that'd be great. That's all you ask us to do, just share our story. That's our prayer. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.